In Atlanta, one voice has stood out for over four decades. An AJC original, The Monica Pearson Show. Let's talk about how you got to ESPN. Revealing interviews. You are known as America's doctor, but I want to know who you were before that. When you have a different name, you have different color skin, it can be tough. With Atlanta's most famous faces as you've never seen them before. I'm telling my story. This is the American dream. The Monica Pearson Show, streaming now on AJC.com. Donald Trump has been indicted in Atlanta. We have so many court dockets to follow, but we haven't really seen anything yet. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution has covered every moment of this historic case. I've been writing about this investigation for two and a half years. Our team is led by reporters Bill Rankin and Tamar Hallerman. Follow our coverage on AJC.com and listen to new in-depth episodes of the award-winning podcast, Breakdown, The Trump Indictment, only from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Is Brian Kemp going for the jugular? The RGA is going to defend Brian Kemp and our incumbents because they're great governors. Welcome to Politically Georgia from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, the podcast we want you to depend on for the most on-the-ground coverage of the 2022 election. I'm your host, Greg Bluestein, along with your other host, Patricia Murphy, and we are two of the political insiders here at the AJC. If you haven't already, please follow us on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Coming up later, how Georgia Democrats are unifying as the GOP dukes it out and why some Democrats are crossing over to vote in the Republican primary. But first, Brian Kemp is really pulling out all the stops to defeat former Senator David Perdue in the closing days of the May 24th primary. I asked the governor what it means to have the support of former Vice President Mike Pence. Here's what he said. It's incredible. We got three great governors that are coming and many others that are supporting us from afar. We got the vice president coming in. You know, Speaker Rawson endorsed me this week. We've got an event with President Bush that's helping us raise money because, look, we are we are fighting the whole country in this governor's race right here. Doug Ducey knows that. All these other people know that. Governor Kemp also says that the surge of Republican turnout, its record turnout so far in the early voting process, is a sign of enthusiasm. I think it's great. I think people are fired up. They're mad at Biden inflation. They're mad, as the governor talked about, with the crisis at the border border, and they're ready to push back. And I think it's going to be a great cycle for us. We just got to keep the momentum. It's a long way to November. Patricia, these final days right before next week's, it sounds weird saying that, but next week's primary um, is really sort of a tour de force for Governor Kemp. He is um, not letting up whatsoever on David Perdue between the visits from Chris Christie and Doug Ducey and Mike Pence coming up next week to this major economic development announcement, the Hyundai plant that he's going to go down to coastal Georgia uh, next week and announce. All that put together, um, he's trying to show no quarter, to give no no recourse whatsoever for, for David Perdue to fight back. Yeah, and it's amazing because it feels like a general election with the amount of resources and attention and energy the Kim campaign is dumping into this moment. And knowing it's a primary, it feels like it's a neck and neck primary. Um, I think we have seen from uh, polling, from anecdotal evidence on the ground, from endorsements, etc., It doesn't feel like a neck and neck primary right now between David Perdue and Brian Kemp, but just the amount of effort, time, money, events, TV ads, endorsements, advocates, everybody who's anybody who has anything to do with Republican politics in the state has really gotten into this race 
And I've been amazed that they've gotten into it for Brian Kemp in such a kind of a, um, an uneven way there. It, you wouldn't know that there is a former president who has come out against Brian Kemp based on all of the Republicans who have gotten into this race and gotten involved in this race on Brian Kemp's behalf and against uh, President Trump's pick of David Perdue. Um, I think it speaks to the fact that Kemp is up in the polls. I think there are maybe some Republicans who would be sitting on the sidelines and saying, well, I'm going to support whoever wins. Um, I think it speaks to the relative strength that everybody in the state sees of Kemp, but it also speaks to um, just the inherent strengths of this Kemp campaign. So it's uh, he is not letting up, though. I totally agree. He's got this crazy schedule coming up, um, just more than a dozen events over the next several days. That is not the same case over on the Purdue side. And I think it's uh, I think this is going to start to really show itself up in the results as well. And we'll talk about that in a second. But to your point about crazy schedule, um, I am here in some park in Forsyth County in between two campaign stops. You're on your way to go see David Purdue. I just saw Governor Kemp with Governor Christie and I'm going to go see Gary Black. Um, we are also <laughs> having these crazy schedules because this is the moment where it's a lot of fun to be a political reporter too, because all that work the, we've been covering, all the dynamics of the campaign, they're really coming into a, a sort of sharper relief right now. And our readers, listeners, viewers, everyone out there um, is tuning in even more so about what's happening. And you know, one of the trends you talked about was all this sort of f- a final rush of support for for Governor Kemp and. Um, I wrote about this sort of establishment revenge right now where all these um, you know, Trump opponents, Trump enemies, people who are Trump skeptics, they're all coming off the sidelines and backing Governor Kemp because this, they see this potentially as a way to punish the former president. Um, Brian Robinson, the famed Republican strategist, um, had this great quote, which was, I'm paraphrasing, but when you're headed to Victory Island, a lot of folks wash up on the shore. <laughs> and <laughs> that's what's happening is that a lot of people, you know, it's, it's no longer seen as a big gamble to go to back the incumbent governor. A lot of Republicans were staying on the sidelines early on. Well, now they're not. Um, as you wrote, uh, almost the entire legislative body, almost every Republican in the Georgia legislature is backing <laughs> Brian Kemp. And we're seeing activists and um, others. At this point, I mean, grassroots folks, national figures, um, at this point, this raises the expectation so high for Governor Kemp, though, that even if he finishes at 49.9% of the vote, it'll be a defeat, essentially. It'll be looked at as a holy crap moment. He was, you know, he's at 60% in some polls right now. If he finishes at, 50, at, at 49.9 and is forced into runoff, David Perdue has all the momentum instantly. So this is, this is a high-stakes situation for the governor. Oh, yeah. Well, expectations are such a double-edged sword. You know, expectations can bring people over to your side in terms of endorsements, in terms of surrogates, but it can also leave some voters at home if they feel like you don't need their vote. And so Brian Kemp is sending that message by getting around the state, pulling out his surrogates, and really getting in front of as many voters as possible to tell them, like, we need you to vote. This is not a done deal um, if he, you're so right. If he doesn't avoid a runoff, um, uh, that's going to be a huge news day. That would be a huge news event. It would be seen as victory by uh, Donald Trump's campaign and Donald Trump's people. And um, it, you know, it would be a little bit like when Bill Clinton did not win the New Hampshire primary, but declared himself the comeback kid because everybody thought he would do so much worse than he did. Um, so mm-hmm. it's. Um, 
the expectations can really cut both ways. And so that's why the Kemp campaign, I really do think, is spending so many resources to take to leave nothing to chance, basically. And another reason is Governor Kemp's been there before. He was the number two finisher in the runoff in 2018. Um, it was Lieutenant Governor, then Lieutenant Governor Casey Cagle, who was going for the knockout blow. He just couldn't get, he was in the mid-40s. He never in the polls could get above 50% and they ended up closer to 40 um, doing, doing the, uh, in, the, in the first round of voting. And it was Governor Kemp who was the one who benefited from that late surge, who benefited from Trump's endorsement back then during the runoff phase. So Governor Kemp is now the one saying he doesn't want to leave anything to chance. And to give our loyal listeners a peek behind the curtain, um, we don't write election stories the night of the election. It's too busy. It's too crazy, right? We're, we're in the middle. There's a lot of things happening. So what we often do is we write prep stories. And so earlier today, actually, before one of the governor's campaign stops, I sat there for two or three hours and wrote up all the different prep stories for what could happen next week. So the governor wins. Um, David Perdue wins. Um, and uh, uh, headed toward a runoff. And it was kind of you know, very interesting writing all the uh, the potential you know leads and and um, analysis paragraphs about like all those different outcomes. And of course, two of those three I'll have to throw away. I still have my Hillary Clinton wins prep somewhere in my mailbox. So that <laughs> at happens. least you That's didn't the hit the button journalist. on that one by accident. <laughs> yeah, um, we also a lot of journalists learned that night too to make sure you have your prep for all eventualities because a lot of people weren't thinking Trump won. So we're ready. Uh, in any eventuality. But it, right now, um, Governor Kemp doesn't want to leave anything to chance. And we're seeing as well, David Perdue is not giving the signals that you'd expect um, a candidate who thinks he's in a race, you know, he, he's in a close race to give. I mean, he has had very few events. Um, he had a very limited schedule over the weekend with, as far as we can tell, one stop at the Chatham County GOP down near where he lives on the coast of Georgia. Um, very limited social media presence the last few days, um, very limited campaign events, just a handful of, of, of gatherings this week, um, mostly county GOP meetings at night. Um, so not the same packed schedule. His, his campaign would push back, saying it's still working to finalize some other events, um, that he's still doing a lot of media interviews. And of course, they've been pushing the line that early voting numbers suggest that he could be a stronger, in stronger contention than the polls do. Um, they keep on pointing to the fact that a lot of new Republican voters are casting ballots. A lot of Republicans who skipped the 2018 midterm, a lot of Republicans who who only vote in races where Donald Trump is on the ballot. So all that could be a good sign for David Perdue, but it could mean nothing. We just don't know. It's really hard to look into these numbers, Patricia. Yeah. And especially because Georgians don't register by party, we really don't know who's voting in this election other than how they voted in the past. And Georgia voters have all sorts of reasons for voting in different primaries. Um, it has a lot to do with where the competitive races are, and it has a lot to do with whether they think their vote is going to count. So um, it's not really predictive of November, and um, it's not even predictive of the end result, especially right now because of the many changes in early voting and how strange early voting was in 2020. Um, you know, I don't know there, it seems like there's also a good chance that people could just be getting early voting taken care of because absentee voting, vote by mail has been um, a little bit up in the air in terms of when people's deadlines are. And so we just don't know, 
the reasons behind some of this activity and in Georgia politics, especially like you, people always ask us to predict what's going to happen like every day, what's going to happen. We think is going to happen. And like, we literally don't know, like we do not know. Um, there is a scenario where David Perdue pushes this to a runoff. There's a scenario, um, for just about anything in politics. And so we, we have to wait till the results come in. And that's the reason we write those. We write many stories and it's the reason why um, most candidates actually write three speeches for election night as well, because we just don't know exactly how it's going to go until uh, the story is written. I still remember the 2021 runoff where we were expecting David Perdue to give some sort of speech that night and then ended up just telling everyone his aides had to go down to the hotel and say, everyone go home. There's going to be nothing. He gives um, no so, speech at all. And that so was even pretty, if you prepare him. Yeah, that was pretty consistent with that, how that campaign was going anyway. You were like, oh, that seems just about right. We didn't see a whole lot of him before election night and we saw none of him on election night. Um, <laughs> and I've been surprised at the light schedule that Purdue's been keeping. Um, to have one public event, um, that is that is your schedule for a year away from the primary, not the weekend before the primary. Um, we don't know what to make of that, but if you are an, a, another Republican, if you're a Purdue supporter, you'd like to see a little more get up and go there. Um, it's important to do press, but it's it's important to do all of the things ahead of primary day this close to it. You're exactly right. Um, and part of this trend that we're closely watching is something that uh, we wrote about in the jolt a few days ago, um, which was this significant proportion of, of Democratic primary voters, reliable Democratic primary voters who voted in the Democratic primary just two years ago, who have flipped over and voted in the GOP primary um, about seven to eight percent of uh, of, of the number of voters in the Republican primary um, voted Democratic just two years ago. Um, so not a, not a, not a, you know, a enormous number, but a significant number. Um, just like we said, it's really hard to read into the GOP numbers. It's hard to guess um, who these folks are supporting. Some of them we've talked to tell, tell us that they're supporting Brian Kemp and Brad Raffensperger because they want to vote against whoever Trump has endorsed, but others you know, they're pl- trying to play it strategically and saying that they're voting for um, the Republicans they feel will be more vulnerable to Stacey Abrams. And some of them are saying that would be David Perdue. So there's a lot of gamesmanship. We have no idea if it will actually have any impact on next week's results because we ha- don't have next week's results. But Patricia, it's certainly been a unique trend in Georgia to watch, uh, in part because there's no real marquee race. Um, there's important races on the Democratic ballot, but Stacey Abrams has no opponent and Raphael Warnock has only a, uh, a little known competitor. So there's less of a major reason for that some Democrats feel like they need to vote. Yeah, if you're a Democratic voter, let's say in Atlanta's 5th Congressional District, um, Nakima Williams is running unopposed for the House seat. Um, Stacey Abrams is running unopposed. Raphael Warnock may as well be unopposed. He has just very nominal um, nominal competition. And there are these huge races playing across the aisle. And I reached out to and interviewed about a dozen Democratic voters who voted um, in the Republican primary and asked them why. I didn't find anybody who said, oh, I'm looking for the weakest candidate. I mean, they were all genuinely alarmed by uh, Jody Heiss and alarmed by David Perdue. And they were all very anti-Trump. And so it was the Trump factor driving their decision to get involved in this. And um, they didn't all vote uh, the same way. Some of them voted only for Raffensperger and left 
the rest blank. Some of them voted only for Kemp and left the rest blank. Um, but they were all motivated by Trump and said, you know, I feel like Trump and the people he is choosing are dangerous for democracy, not dangerous for Democrats in November, just dangerous for democracy. And in a swing state, there's always the chance that either party could win. And in an off year election and a year that's not shaping up to be really, really great for Democrats nationally. And many of these Democrats said, I know it's entirely possible the Republican could win in November. And I don't want that Republican to be David Perdue or Jody Heiss. Um, now, I did not talk to all 16,000 Democratic voters who switched over. So that is not, that is only a tiny sample, but it was really consistent. And I was really interested um, in, uh, in that all but one said they were going to vote straight Democratic ticket in November. But one woman said, you know, I think that Kemp and Raffensperger um, stood up to Trump. And that's about all you can ask from, you know, from somebody. So that was uh, th- those are the results of my interviews so far. Well, you know, on the same topic, before we take a break on the same topic, uh, you know, we here at the Politically Georgia podcast bring you breaking news all the time. And I'm on the campaign trail. Patricia, you're driving or you're you're. Hands free. You're in transit. I'm driving. Okay, I don't want to get in trouble. You're driving to an event. Um, but we just have this fresh... Is that, is that bad? Hands that free. Bad? She's hands free. She's not I violating am. any traffic laws. Um, but we have a breaking development in from um, a David Purdue supporter named Debbie Dooley, um, who texts frequently. Uh-oh. And as we're talking, um, she writes, David Purdue is all over the place working. I saw him last night. I talked to folks he was with today. He just isn't publicizing the events he's speaking at. He's doing it old-fashioned way. He will force Kemp in a runoff. Into a runoff, I think she meant. Um, so <laughs> so we're, we're hearing okay. pushback from uh, the fact that he's not doing a lot of public events. Um, you know, again, who- Well, if he's not telling people, then they are technically not public <laughs> events. So- I don't understand the secrecy, but... But it's important feedback. Important feedback. Important feedback. We we understand it. We are we hear it. And look, me and you, we get we get texts all the time from Purdue allies just like this saying the numbers are moving his way. But again, we're also hearing the same pushback from not just Kemp's allies, but like independent folks, uh, people with no skin in the game who are polling this. Um, you know, either because they're interested in different trends that are going on, or 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 anything. And all the tracking polls we've heard from independent folks, and of course from Kemp's folks, show. He's hovering around the 60s and that he is in just fine shape. But certainly, we, if he does get forced to run off, there will be no narrative that he let his foot off the, uh, off the gas because he has not done that at all. This is Politically Georgia from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Hip-hop is a product of black people. It's a product of black song and celebration. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution presents Hip-hop's most pulled elements are pulled from the South. A Southern hip-hop store. We always go back to that moment of the Source Awards. Everybody wants your rhythm, but they don't want your blues. The biggest names in hip-hop. Atlanta is still the mecca for hip-hop. 50 years. No one can deny. One film. The power of the South now. The South got something to say. Streaming now at AJC.com slash hip-hop. Our journalists at the Atlanta Journal-Constitution are working around the clock to keep you updated on all the developments surrounding the Trump indictment. Now the AJC is putting all of our coverage in one place with our new Trump 19 newsletter. Every Wednesday, you'll have our latest coverage and analysis on this historic case in your inbox. So sign up for free today at AJC.com slash indictment newsletter. That's all one word. AJC.com slash indictment newsletter. 
And we're back to the Politically Georgia podcast from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. I'm your host, Greg Bluestein, along with your other host, Patricia Murphy. And we are two of the very enthusiastic, energetic, and not tired at all hosts of, of the Morning Insider, The Jolt, which you can get in your inbox every morning. Patricia works on it every night late. Um, no, I work on it every night late. Patricia works on it every morning very early. See how not tired we are? And um, <laughs> I imagine we're going to have a lot of campaign trail fodder in um, the latest jolt. Also, um, some analysis of, of the Tuesday night primaries all over the nation, but particularly in Pennsylvania, um, and some of how that translates here in Georgia. So we'll see a lot of that. And of course, some fresh um, details from all the various stops that we have been making. Um, we think the Morning Jolt newsletter sets the stakes and the agenda in Georgia politics, and you can get it in your inbox every morning if you're a subscriber to the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. You can join us and support our work and join our community right now, this very moment, by going to subscribe.ajc.com backslash podcasts and your first month of the limited digital access. It's just 99 cents. I can't believe it. That's subscribe.ajc.com slash podcasts. So you always know what's really going on. And Patricia, one of the things that's going on right now is that Democrats' runway is, is about to run short. Um, Democrats have enjoyed a lot of this Republican infighting, a lot of this sparring. If what we think happens Tuesday happens and Herschel Walker wins without a runoff and Brian Kemp wins, wins without a runoff, then the full frontal attacks from Republicans, the undivided attention from Republicans will soon shift over to Raphael Warnock and to Stacey Abrams uh, in their races for Senate and governor. And, and that really changes the ballgame. Yeah, it really does. And we know that Republicans have been itching to run against Stacey Abrams. They would have loved to have had this conversation start about six months ago, but it is what it is. Um, and I think that Republicans and Republican voters tend to be very good at resetting themselves once they head into a general election. So any um, anger or frustration, I really do feel like is going to fall away once they are focusing on Abrams and the idea of a Governor Abrams. And I think that she's uh, always been a real um, unifying force for Republicans. I got a mailer in my um, mailbox today from, it's an anti-Burt Jones mailer, and it is calling Burt Jones, who's a, a very conservative Republican running for lieutenant governor, uh, it's a picture with him and Stacey Abrams, um, which is completely photoshopped. It's not a real picture, but it's the two of them calling Burt Jones, um, Stacey Abrams, BFF. And for the campaign trying to defeat Burt Jones, they feel like Stacey Abrams is the most effective attack they could use on Jones or any Republican, even if it's not accurate. Just having her picture and her name on a mailer, they feel like is uh, strong enough to activate Republican votes. And they're probably not wrong. Which is so funny because we saw Doug Collins, who was friends with Stacey Abrams. I mean, you know, state lawmakers, they folks cross party aisles and they, they, they befriend Republicans to friend Democrats. And they work together sometimes to, to make legislation better. And Doug Collins, back when he was a state um, House member, um, was very close with, um, with Stacey Abrams when she was the House Minority Leader, when she was the top Democrat in the Georgia House. They had pictures together and they were they embraced in a few pictures. Um, they were so close that Stacey Abrams even made Doug Collins a character in his in one of her books. He was kind of a nerdy, kind of somewhat annoying um, 
character in one of her romance novels, but but like endearingly annoying, not like annoyingly annoying. So um, <laughs> if that makes any sense. Um, of course. But, but then to see this kind of hacky mailer, because I saw it on your Twitter feed, um, you know, with like a, not even a, you know, that didn't even look like it was, they even tried to Photoshop it. It was just this kind of pasted uh, image. Um, just shows you uh, how... Des- this was an outside group. It wasn't a campaign, right? But it shows you how desperate folks get um, at, at this point in the race. Absolutely. And, you know, this is what happens when we're this far away from a primary. And so I think when people are getting mailers in their, um, at their homes, it is v- super important to consider the source. Look who paid for that. Um, same with ads, especially on Facebook, anything on social media, Instagram, you really need to consider the source of these attacks that you're seeing on candidates because they are only tangentially accurate in some cases, and in some cases, totally inaccurate. I like the tangentially accurate is a nice way of saying <laughs> not true. <Yeah. laughs> um, so I had the chance to sit down with Stacey Abrams the other day and asked her if she's seeing any more energy in the party since the leak of the uh, infamous leak of the uh, Supreme Court opinion on Roe v. Wade. Absolutely. And it's coming from every corner. Uh, we know that for many years, the specter has been out there, but it has never seemed real and imminent. And what that leak proved is that this is not just a talking point for elections. It is a reality. And there are you know, thousands of Georgia women who are confronting that reality and so are our men in the state. Uh, so are families. This matters. And the fact that Republicans are now chattering about whether they're going to criminalize women, whether they're going to put doctors in jail, whether they are going to fully and completely ban abortions with no exceptions. Those are real conversations and we can no longer pretend that it's hyperbole. It is absolutely possible because we're watching it happen across this country and we've watched it happen in the state. Now, these comments came shortly after she spoke at the Democratic State Party's big annual fundraiser where the agenda, the top of the menu, if you could say that, was unity. Um, There was a clear contrast between the Republican infighting over Trump and between Purdue and Kemp um, with the Democratic field, which, of course, there's still still a lot of warring down the ticket, um, rivalries down the ticket for offices like Lieutenant Governor and Attorney General and Secretary of State. But the top of the ticket is unified. And... um, Congresswoman Nakima Williams, who's the chairwoman of the state party, um, she talked about that sort of trend going on um, as the divide with Republicans is just deepening. We're letting them hash out their family business while we're continuing to do the work of the people of Georgia. Uh, Patricia, I thought that that event um, a couple nights ago where it attracted about a thousand people. It was a sold out event. Um, the, the main speaker was Senator Amy Klobuchar, but she didn't even read, really need to be the main speaker because the main speakers, the, 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 uh, the, the keynotes in effect were Raphael Warnock, John Ossoff and Stacey Abrams. Those were the crowd pleasers at that event. And I just felt like it really did underscore the fact that Republicans are divided and they're going to continue to be divided no matter what. It doesn't mean they can't win. It doesn't mean they're not. Many people would favor them going into this November election. Um, but Trump will still be a specter. Democrats don't have to worry about that. They've got their own issues, plenty of them. But, um, you know, Democrats are united uh, up and down the party aisle behind Raphael Warnock and Stacey Abrams at this moment. Yeah, Democrats definitely have that going for them. I think that is the benefit of being an ascendant party, a party with a very clear leader in Stacey Abrams. There is no 
Um, there's no power struggle happening there at the top. And some of these other candidates, Raphael Warnock and um, uh, John Ossoff is not a candidate. He's a senator now. Um, but these people really are heroes within the party because of all that they were able to do in 2020. And so they are just this. I feel like this might be like the apex of the mood of Democrats <laughs> uh, uh, right now. Of course, if they manage to win in 2022. Nowhere to go but yeah, down. Yeah, exactly. In 2022, um, if they win, you know, they're going to have to really uh, wrestle with having to make some tough decisions. But right now, uh, they have a single goal. They have a single leader. That is exactly the place you want to go, frankly, when you're any organization. Um, one thing Democrats are going to have going against them is the national mood of the country. And if they can um, rise above that, if they can localize this race, or if they can uh, capitalize on the anti-Trump sentiment out there, that'll be really important. But right now, um, President Biden who, of course, won Georgia, um, is way underwater in Georgia nationally. The kind of the national trends are really tough. Inflation is so real. People's um, paychecks, even if they're getting bigger, they're buying less. And it is a time when you're reading more and more about stocks that are down, bonds that are down, portfolios are down, um, retirement accounts are down. Uh, and uh, even this morning, I was reading about um, uh, the re most recent Fed chairman saying that a recession is likely, you know, those are all headwinds for any governing party. And so Republicans, while they, they're going to need that unity, because they're going to need a unified message to take into those November elections to rise above and beyond what's happening in Washington and at the national level. I couldn't have said it better myself. You nailed it. Um, Democrats have plenty of issues ahead and they're going to have to outperform Joe Biden, which will not be easy. Well, Patricia, that is about all the time we have on our show this week, but we're going to be with you later on this week for a Friday episode where we recap all the latest news in Georgia politics. And of course, um, if any news breaks, you can expect a special episode of the Political Georgia podcast. Again, new episodes come out every Wednesday, Friday, or whenever news breaks. So we will see you then on Politically Georgia from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. I'm Ernie Suggs, race and culture reporter for the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. And I'm Ned Ravone, lifestyle columnist. Atlanta has been known as the Black Mecca for so many years, but that means something different to everybody. It means everything to me. I've been living here for 24 years and I am still amazed at how rich the city's Black culture continues to grow. Every day I wake up, I learn something new. Well, you all can learn something new by subscribing to the Atlanta Journal-Constitution's new newsletter called Unapologetically ATL. It's all about the people, the events, and the entertainment happening in Metro Atlanta that Black people might want to know about. Like historically Black colleges and universities. Atlanta's thriving art scene. And the city's growing neighborhoods. Wherever you live, we want to hear from you. We want to hear what issues are important to you. So subscribe today at www.ajc.com slash unapologetically ATL. Only from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Oh,